This is Real Talk for Real Men, episode number 17. Welcome to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast. Lifestyle advice for men so powerful, you'll want to run your life on it. And now your hosts, Guy Mullen and Chris Field. Well, hello there again, everyone. This is Guy Mullen, and welcome back to Real Talk for Real Men. And I'm Chris Field with you again, looking forward to really hitting a nail on the head. We hope that will really... Uh, speak to you because Guy has uh, discussed with me his keenness to really start exploring, as we haven't done so far yet, the whole question about marriage. So what's going on inside your head, Guy? Yeah, okay. Well, I guess it's, marriage is one of those things with uh, with us men, isn't it, that um, we want our marriages to work out, but we really don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about it or doing much about it. I think that's terribly horrible of you to describe me like that, <laughs> expose me like that. <laughs> you know, we, we spend a lot of time on our work and, and on our sports and, and our hobbies and things, but we tend to just hope that our marriages will just cruise along. And I don't know whether we hope. I think there's a sense, uh, maybe this is just my own level of ignorance, but I just thought it was automatically going to happen. Mm. I just assumed that uh, because I was in love with her and she was in love with me, that it was just going to happen. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the the stats are that around, you know, it's hard to exactly nail down the stats, but around about 50% of marriages fail and first marriages fail. And it doesn't really matter whether they're Christians or not in terms of the statistics, supposedly. It, it used to be supposedly. different. The church used to lag, but I don't know that they do anymore, Christians. Yeah, yeah. and the, the average marriage length for first-time marriages is, is only about 12 years. And, mm. of course, it's, it's worse for subsequent marriages. So how long have you been married now? It'll be uh, 23 years this year. Uh, I'm coming up to 43. Wow. Wow, yeah. That's why I look older than you. <laughs> So guys, uh, we've actually we both got past twelve. How's that? We haven't done too bad, have we? We've, we've both, both got past we've both got past twelve. 12 and, years. You know, and you know, I I spend a fair bit of time thinking about thinking about regrets, if you like. Mm-hmm. And I'm always conscious of when I'm making a decision. I've got a decision in front of me. We talked about uncertainty in a previous podcast, didn't we? When I've got a decision in front of me, what am I going? What What are the potential regrets here? Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the interesting things I was reading recently was that uh, actually it was on a something I put on on podcast on on Facebook just recently was that the psychology study from two thousand it was way back two thousand eleven said that the regrets of inaction tend to last longer than the regrets mm. of making the wrong decision. Right. If we take a risk and we make the wrong decision, we're able to handle that better than if we just don't make a decision. Or we might, or we just choose not to make a decision, not to follow our gut, not to follow our instinct, not take the risk. Those regrets tend to hang with us longer. Mm. And one of these areas where this really comes out is in our relationships. And, and for most of us men, that primary relationship is is going to be with our wives, and uh, either our first wife or second second wife, as, as the case may be. Well, this is that issue. We use the exp- the expression significant other. Mm. And the truth is we all want someone else in our life who is a significant part of our life, this other person. Uh, it's no good being a hero all on your own. You, you, you want your life, you want your experiences, you want your joys and everything else to be shared. 
And it seems that God's built into us this this desire to actually have a significant other in our life who, who we share that with. But the, the question has to be asked then, I guess, we are you know, doing real talk here, mm-hmm. that if so many marriages are failing and they're not lasting very long, 12 years is not that long, then is it worth it? Is it worth is it worth putting pen to paper and making that commitment and, and getting married to somebody in this modern in these modern times when statistically you know the chances are you're gonna be one of the statistics. You know, we're all individuals, so we don't have to be a statistic. But statistics are made up of individuals. Right. And so the question is, is it is it worth it? And so I wanna just explore, go right back to the basics today and talk about, well, why did you get married and and has it been worth it? And and I'll ask the same question of myself. Why did I get married? You want, to, you want me to answer it? that question first? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to I want to start with a couple of examples, and I'll use a couple of one a Christian example, and one a secular one. Most of those of you who are Christians probably heard of John Wesley, who was an Anglican who founded the the Methodist mm. Church. If you like, famous preacher from famous Yesterday. preacher, forty thousand sermons preached. He traveled the equivalent of going to the moon over 238,000 miles. Mm-hmm. And uh, on horseback. Yeah, mostly on horseback. Yeah, he didn't have a Porsche back then. And in the BBC's poll of 2000, John is listed as being number 50 of the 100 greatest ever Brits. And mm-hmm. Brits have got a long history, so they've got a mm-hmm. lot of pretty famous people. And he was at number 50. Yet as a husband, he is said to have been a miserable failure. So obviously there's a lot that's been written about people. And so, you know, if you're reading stuff, you don't know exactly what's true and what's not true. So I want to put that caveat out there without knowing him and without knowing his family or extended family. You can only go by on what you interpret from what people read. But it appeared his his marriage to widow Molly Goldhawk Vizel after just a few weeks of courtship, even though it lasted for 20 plus years, it was an absolute miserable, disastrous failure. And, you know, he said he's been quoted saying something like, and I, and I don't have the exact quote, so excuse me if, it's, if you get the wrong impression from it, but he was asked by his Methodist friends why he married this woman, because they'd only known each other for a few, few weeks, and they, didn't, they weren't, didn't seem to be compatible. He was someone who was on fire from, for the Lord, and she was sort of a nominal a nominal Christian, and he was asked why did he do it, and he said something along the lines that it, had, it was a cross that he had to take up because it was going to help his ministry, that it, he needed to get married in order to break down the prejudice in a world where marriage was expected of men. You know, he was 40-something at this stage, and it was something which was expected of him, and he thought it would help his ministry to, to get married. And so he, he got married just to tick the box? It sounds like he got married in order to help his ministry. Mm. You know, and some of the things, stories that you hear about his life later on, and you guys can look this, this stuff up yourselves and, and see some of the things that transpired, but his wife appeared to be completely and utterly miserable. You know, he's said to have left only less than a week after getting married. He, he trotted off on one of his long journeys, one of his mm. long preaching journeys, less than a week after getting married. And so I guess that, you know, we've got to remember that that's, those are the times, I guess. This is the 1700s. It's very different to today, but um, but uh, it certainly doesn't sound like the way to build a nice, happy, lasting relationship. It doesn't sound the way to, to mm. build a nice, happy marriage. But he had his reasons. He wouldn't have got married unless he had his reasons. 
And to my eyes, they don't look like very good reasons. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he has his reasons for getting married. And so I put that on one hand. And then a second example I want to give you is uh, um, a number of years ago, I was involved in, um, in, uh, in trading energy. And in the process of setting that up, we were looking around all over the place at, at how to do that and who was going to fund us, who was going to put money into the, into the business, how we were going to get started. This time we were still working in the corporate world and trying to find someone who would fund us to get out. And one of our one of our leads led us to Singapore to a guy there who was a a fundraiser who organised who organised funds from investors, and uh, he was very well off. Uh, one of the few guys that, that drove a very nice car in Singapore. There's not a lot of cars, and uh, but anyway, he had a he had a wife that was he openly admitted to me was just his trophy wife. A tro- she was a trophy. And the, and the kids that he had with her were just to tick the box, if you like, to improve status, to get accepted. And, uh, you know, and he had he had separate mistresses on the side that he had his separate cell phone sims for. When we went and saw him, he gave us he gave us uh, sims to be able to contact him on and told us which ones to, to contact him on. And that was that was the way he lived. And so he had reasons for getting married. Which, um, you know, to my well, line of thinking, they're more about his career. And more are all about him and his career, mm. and and what he wanted to achieve in life. And when I think about that, I think ahead. I think ahead to regrets down the track. Mm-hmm. You know, and in that post, actually, that I forwarded to Facebook, I think it, I think it said that in that study, there were forty. I think it was forty-six or forty-seven percent of people have regrets about relationships mm-hmm. in their life. So that's things like their marriage, uh, parenting uh, with their friends and family. But there's only 22% of people have regrets about their about their careers and money. Mm. So it's more than double. So relationship definitely rates higher. They they mm-hmm. they they occur more are going to be occurring more likely in your range of regrets that you have. Mm. And so and so when we think about this on the topic of of marriage, they say love is blind, right? So well, they also say love is blind and marriage is an eye opener. <laughs> marriage is blind and marriage is so love, love is blind, blind and marriage, and marriage is an, an eye opener. opener. And was that your experience? Uh, I think I'd have to say that's true. I'd have to say it this way. I anticipated I'd get married. I was looking forward to marriage. I think I was looking forward as a red-blooded young male to having a wife and being able to have intimacy with a woman, being able to enjoy uh, all the privileges of, of marriage. And I found my wife, Susan, and found her to be attractive and desirable. And so someone I anticipated enjoying uh, a married life with. Uh, And I think there was incredible naivety uh, on my part, um, bordering on absolute ignorance about true relationships and what was involved. And I, I had this very, very naive idea that if we were in love, that that just solved everything, that, that we were going to work through everything because we loved each other and that nothing was ever going to get in the way. And if other people struck um, hurdles, I think I describe myself sometimes as kind of the, the uh, optimist, uh, idealist. And so I just assumed that if anyone else had a problem, it wasn't going to happen to me. You know, So I was in, I was in the perfect state of ignorance. Yeah, And uh, I think confronting marriage then, the reality of it, and finding that Susan was her own person and didn't actually, wasn't on the same page with me on a number of different things that I just assumed. I just assumed 
that we would have had exactly the same definitions on a whole bunch of different things because they were just things that I understood to be almost universally obvious. Um, and yet from <laughs> There's her so many things to us men the universally just, obvious that our wives don't get. That's just, yeah, that's right. it's just like, hello, you know. <laughs> and, uh, what do you mean you don't want to go to the pub watch the football? <laughs> it's just <laughs> obvious. What are we doing on a Saturday night? Everybody wants to do that, yeah. So um, there was a sense in which um, that was a, a, an eye-opener for me. And I think the other thing that, that made life all the more difficult for me was that at that point, I had no resource. I had no mentor. I, had no, I didn't have the sort of relationship with my own dad that I could have gone and talked to him. I don't even know that he would have had anything meaningful to contribute. I don't know that his marriage was one that impressed me as, as, as an example of, of how to, to... I was hoping to be able to have in my marriage a whole lot of differences to the ones that I saw in my dad's mm. marriage. you know. And I guess, too, I was idealistically and very selfishly anticipating someone who would make my life blissfully happy. You know, mm. I didn't mind someone who was going to spoil me. That would be fantastic. You know, mm. um, Susan's idea, I think, was that she was going to have someone who would spoil her. But hang on a second. You know, we can't both have it our way. Uh, so we were, we were destined for all kinds of um, uh, mismatch uh, and... Uh, sadly, I was ignorant of that. And I think Susan, too, was very much ignorant of that. We were both young and naive and and bl- blind, not just because love is blind, but just blind because we weren't the sort of people who really um, spent time preparing for life. We just thought that these sort of things just happen naturally. Same as having children. Surely, once you've got children, it just must come automatically to know what to do as a parent. And of course, Marriage and parenting are things that that are best learned, not um, uh, discovered by accident when we get everything wrong and have to work out how to solve the problems. So I would say that I I, I look forward to being married. I was married very young, uh, by by modern standards, um, maybe not by ancient standards, but I was uh, I was uh, nineteen when I was married, so I was quite young. I didn't think you were married in modern. <laughs> <laughs> Well, today people can be 32 and single and not think there's anything strange about that. So, uh, you know, being married at 19 in, amongst that crowd would seem as ridiculously young. Uh, but uh, Susan was just uh, 10 months older than me. She was already 20 by then, so she was the older woman. Um, but we, we were both still very young and very green and very ignorant. And I think what was to our greatest benefit in the journey was that both of us as as Christians uh, and understanding what God wanted us to be as faithful and committed to our marriage, that it was that level of commitment, that level of uh, this is what we're in now, we have to make this work. That was very important for us. Um, and, and of course, there was the joy of marriage. There was all the, the, the good things that came out of it, along with all the challenges. So I, I, I developed the habit of openly saying to people that Susan is the most difficult woman I've ever married. You know, she really is. You know, and she would say, well, Chris is the most difficult man I've ever married. You know, um, and, and I don't know that anyone has caused me more pain, challenge, frustration, annoyance, um, uh, angst as Susan has. You know, but then no one else has ever been my wife either. No one else has mm-hmm. ever uh, had the opportunity to... to uh, live with me and me with them uh, under these conditions for 43 years. I'd also say then that, that no one has probably blessed me more than Susan has. No one has ever delighted me more than Susan has. So uh, that's a rather unique relationship that we've entered into. And uh, for it better and for worse, it, it's very, very special. And I came to the understanding uh, many years ago, I suppose, when I'd been married for less than 30 years, I, I made the statement to Susan 
that uh, you know anyone could ditch their wife and run off and find a, a, a cute younger girl uh, to marry to replace their wife. But I said to Susan that, that it takes 30 years to be married for 30 years. And if I ran off and tried to find someone younger that I think might be... You've got to start the training all over again. Well, yeah, if I was training, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I thought it was trickier or that might have been um, more devoted to me or more this or more that. Um, it was still going to take me another 30 years to have the same level of commitment. So I said to Susan, I said, you are irreplaceable. At this stage of my life, in the relationship that we mm. have, I will never have with anybody the level of relationship. Well, this is about coming to an understanding about what's truly important, though, isn't it? Well, yes. And uh, the whole journey, then, is one of us being stretched and being challenged. And by our response to that stretching and challenging, growing up, maturing, working out who we are, working out who the other person is, learning how to live in a love relationship with someone who uh, sometimes could be, you know, the most difficult person you've ever had to put up with. When, you, when you're making a big decision in work or you're buying a house or something, you, you, you do a, a cost-benefit, if you like. You, do a, you work out, okay, well, these are the things I hope to get from making decisions. These are the things I expect to have to, have to pay. And, you know, we probably most of us, there might be some of you out there, but most of us don't sit and do that with a pen and paper when we're coming to getting married. Oh, but you're in love. The, but <laughs> was there it. any things you're, you're expecting to, to give up? Was there any price you're expecting to pay for getting married or was it all just going to be all good? Oh, I think I was ignorant enough to assume that there wasn't really much of a price. It was all win-win, win-win, you know, win, well, certainly win for me. Um, and I thought for Susan and that there, there wouldn't be any downside. I, I, I think that that came as the first shock when there were when there were downsides and it's silly little things. I remember the night, the first night that Susan uh, said she wanted to go and visit one of her girlfriends, and I, I knew the chap and his wife, and she wanted to go and visit the chap's wife, and that was a perfectly pleasant thing to do. They were going to go and catch up, and have a chat about different things, and I, I just assumed that Susan would would have real difficulty being away from me. You know, that because I would have had difficulty being away from her. I would have wanted to have hurried home. You know, and so she said she'd be a couple of hours. Well. After a couple of hours and she wasn't back and then two and a half hours went past and three hours went past and she still wasn't back, I, I began to assume, well, you know, surely she would want to be home. She would have find, found an excuse to leave and, and, and what in the world's happened is she had an accident on the way home. Well, when she finally got home, you know, nearly four hours later or something, it was because she was having a great time and, and didn't miss me at all, you know. And I thought, you didn't, you know. I thought, mm. well, I would have missed you, you know. You didn't I, miss me. You I know? think as men we can be suffocating. Oh, well, the, but what it was just showed that, le- that complete level of ignorance on yeah, my part. Yeah, you know, just, sure. just, uh, yeah, thick as a brick. Mm, mm. I think that, you know, for, for a lot of men, I don't know whether this was true in, in your case, but with, uh, with a lot of us, we do have some conscious thinking that there are going to be some things that we're going to have to give up, some things that are going to change. But we expect that, the benefits are going to far outweigh it. So, for example, the obvious one is if you've, if you've been dating, you've been chasing girls, you're obviously aware that you're going to have to stop that. But because you've, you've landed the big one, if you like, that um, you're not going to have any need to, to chase girls anymore. Because you'll now live happily ever after. Because you're now going to live happily ever after. There may be a sense of, well, what about, what about wealth? Maybe one of you is coming into the relationship. Maybe it's you that's coming into the relationship with more money or more future earning potential. Maybe it's her, but maybe it's you that's going into that. And uh, and so you might be a sense of awareness. Well, you know, I'm going to have to share 
you know, share what I earn, share what what value that I bring to the table. And there might be some lingering thought, well, look, if it all turns to custard at some point, then, you know, then it's going to get split 50-50 type of thing. But most of the time we don't, we don't think of these things. We tend to enlarge the benefits and, and downplay the Minimize the costs, absolutely. In my yeah. case, in my case, I had a 21-year courtship. 21-year courtship? Yeah. What, did you meet in the pram or something? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did. But my my wife and I we met when we were one year old. <laughs> was it love at first sight? Was it? Well, I don't remember actually, but um, I wouldn't. Be, yeah, but anyway, yeah, we, we knew each other from one one years old. My my parents went to the same church, mm-hmm. and we were we were friends growing up through we. I famously allowed um, her to sit beside me at Sunday school when no one else would, type of thing. So that's one thing I hold mm-hmm. hold over a head a few times when I know I need to pull a rabbit mm-hmm. out of that. But um, no, look, we I have the benefit, and I often think about what it would be like for someone who's just known each other for a short period of time, and there's all friends and there's family and all those sorts of things that have to be moulded together. I felt like I had a huge advantage mm-hmm. because I'd known my wife for, for 21 years. We hadn't been going out that long, I guess. But you knew we'd her only, family, you but knew we her knew, context. But we knew everybody, and because mm. we'd been friends for such a long time, that um, you know we thought thought we had a bit of a handle on each other's good points and some of the bad points as well. Well, after this many years, do you think that was true? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it was a benefit. I think it was a benefit, but there's still a lot of things which are hidden. There's still a lot of things which... I guess go on behind closed doors, which you don't necessarily see. So, um, you know, that go on in, the, in someone's own home. There are some aspects, sides of our personality, some sides of the way that we act to things that uh, that even when you're out with friends, you don't necessarily see. So, you know, you don't have a, you do have a better. I did have a better handle on things, but but still, love is blind, if you like that. Um, uh, but I, I had that. But because of that, I guess that gave me a sense of security because I know I'd known Anne Marie for so long. I thought, well, you know, we've been together, we're friends, we know what each other is like. Whatever problems we come up, we can handle them together. We'll work them out. You know, we trust God, and we're just going to go go at it, and we're just going to take whatever comes, and we're just going to fight through it together. And and so that was really, uh, I guess, our approach and our attitude. So is it fair to say that your faith perspective actually was a pretty serious anchor in your relationship? Uh, yeah, it was. In fact, the reason that um, it, I was at university, my Emory was at a different university. We weren't going out at that point. Um, and, and I was pretty lonely at university. I was trying to stay away from the nightlife, if you like. I didn't want to go down that route. That, that route. And you know that that meant it was a little bit lonely at times in the you know in the in the, in the halls of you were living away from home. Yeah, I was yeah. living away from home in mm-hmm. the city four hours from home. Mm. So living away from home, but I didn't want to get involved in a lot of the the nightlife and stuff. I just I just didn't want to go there. So that made things a little bit lonely. And I remember on my bed one night praying to um, to God and saying, I just want somebody who I can love with all my heart. I want somebody who I can give my life to and just love. And and I didn't realize at that point that she was right under my nose, that she was one of my friends. And it was a, 
was, was probably a year, I'm not sure it was a year or two years later that we started going out together and we got some, got married pretty quickly. Uh, so the situation was actually that I'd heard a rumour from her brother that she maybe might marry someone else. We weren't going out at this point, mm-hmm. so we are just friends. And I just all of a sudden got the sense of, well, hang on, I don't want to... I don't want her to marry someone else. I want to spend the rest of my life with her. Mm. <laughs> that was the kind of wake up. That was the wake you. up call. Mm. That was the wake up call. You know, it's incredible the blind spots we have and when we need a wake up call. And I realised, look, I, this this girl is is my friend. She's and um, I want to spend the rest of my life with her. I better go and chase her. So I did, mm. and we uh, we got married. And from that point on, it was a case of well, this whatever challenges come up, we're just going to tackle them together with God's help and. And uh, we'll go get them. So. Wow. I'm going to throw something in here then, because obviously in your mind, you're wanting to open up the subject of marriage and, and prepare. This is preparatory toward material. You're going to write and prepare in, in book form. I'm going to just throw something in here as I think about, and I have been in the last couple of weeks, thinking about people and their um, commitment in marriage. I had coffee this morning uh, and someone that I, I knew uh, was in the same cafe and we had a bit of a quick chat and they made the interesting comment, and it was quite out of the blue. They said, monogamy is a choice. And I thought, where in the world did that statement come from? But what the person explained to me is that, that uh, as they understood it, as a Christian, they had made a promise to their spouse mm. that there was their spouse to the exclusion of all others. And around the workforce, now there's people, people may not, hold that same value, right? They might actually um, have a different attitude and value. But they said, that's a choice. It's mm. a choice that's been made. And once mm. it's been made, that, that, that's, that's just, it just, every other possibility is, is removed from yeah. the equation. You don't stop and, and angst about whether you should have made, you, you, that's just where you're at. Mm. And that threw me back to the thought that I'd been having over recent time about different people who would, who would justify the death of their marriage or, or their coldness toward their marriage or their bitterness toward their their wife or husband they would respond in those negative and marriage destructive processes and the question that came to my mind was to ask them the question which i wouldn't do i'm such a nice guy i can i can say it on a podcast because people are going to hear this and i won't even be in the room but the question is which part of for better or for worse did you not mean Mm. which part of for better or for worse did you not mean Mm. when you stood there at the altar and you said i take you for better or for worse and then it went worse and now you're going to use that as an excuse to abandon the entire marriage then Mm. you didn't mean what you said Mm. you you said for better or for worse but when it became worse you're looking for an escape hatch you're looking to, to parachute out of the thing you want you want to abandon the marriage so you didn't mean what you said and that brings up another whole subject, and that is the actual... Well, well, you know, it, you don't want me to go on another subject. <laughs> no, is it, is, it, is it you didn't mean what you said? You, if you had known what you've known now about your wife, then you wouldn't have said it. But it's just, it's just too bad. But I think that that comes back to the ultimate internal character that we have. Yeah. A person exactly. who says, whatever I promised... Yeah. Whatever I promised, at any time, I will fulfill because that's who I am. Yeah. That's my you're character. You're always making that with incomplete information. Well, Because also, you're making something about the future. You don't know what's going to unfold. So if you're not prepared to keep that commitment, then don't make it. Yes, but it still speaks to our internal character. And so I, I would have followed up with this other thought, 
which I was going to go on to a moment ago, and I'll just, I know we're going to run out of time. So these are teasers in a sense for things we have to flesh out when we come back to this topic. But imagine a husband and a wife, sorry, a, a bride and bridegroom standing out the front of a church, right? And, and the minister says, does anyone object to, to, to the union of this couple? And for example, then uh, the, the father of the groom stands up and says, yes, I object. Because I don't believe he is a fit person to make the kind of commitment he has to make today. Because I know him. He's shallow. He's irresponsible. He's made all kinds of promises he's never kept. And I don't think it's fair to allow him to make promises here in this place to this girl. Because I know he won't be able to keep them. Now that's a pretty deep ploughing sort of moment. But imagine, this is only fictitious, but imagine then if, if it was the father of the groom, the bride that said the same thing. She's infatuated with this man. She's going to make any promise she possibly can to be able to get him. But I know her personality. She's made promises to me and her mother multiple times over the year, years and never been able to keep any of them. She is only interested in what's in it for her at the moment and she will say whatever she has to in order to be able to get what she wants. She is not fit to make promises here in this place today. I object to this marriage. Now, that's a scenario that I've never seen outplay in real life. But as I played in my head and look at it, I asked myself the question, when I was going to marry Susan, and, so, and the minister said, has anyone got any reason to object to this union? Maybe someone should have said, hey, Chris is a jerk. <laughs> Chris is only, he's wet behind the ears. He's going to make promises he doesn't even understand. Mm-hmm. Possibly it would have been legitimate to have actually objected to me making those commitments. Because I'd hardly made any commitments in my life. I was in fantasy land. I was, mm. I was um, an Aussie with my own ignorant ideas about and youthful um, uh, hopes and expectations and, and uh, all, of, all of what made me <laughs> an accident going somewhere to happen when I stood at the altar. And yet they allowed me to make a promise that was going to stretch everything inside me to be able to keep it. Now, that's the issue of commitment. Mm. And, and that's when this person said, hey, monogamy is a choice. It's a commitment. Or um, for us to consider that when we have made a promise to someone that we will be their, their husband, we've made a vow publicly before them and committed it before the state in signed paperwork or whatever, that this is our commitment. The real test is our character, who we are. Can we be the person who can actually live out what we said? And if we can't be, then is it not actually fraudulent of us to even have made the promise in the first place? Because we are suggesting that we have sufficient rule over our own spirit, sufficient confidence in ourselves, sufficient experience of past challenges where we've triumphed to keep our word in the face of adversity that qualifies us to be able to say to a woman, I will take you as my lawfully wedded wife to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, in richer, poorer, in sickness and in health. But none of, but by that standard, none of us are ever ready. Absolutely. So I'm only saying that to annoy people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think I just say it because if, if we're really going to stop and reflect, that's what we're looking for. That's what we want to see in our kids. That's what we want to see in ourselves. The kind of depth of character to be able to be that sort of person. Mm. Okay, so maybe those honeymoon years have long since passed. They've faded into the memory. And you're facing challenges in your marriage today that you didn't expect to have back when you stood at the altar and looked into her eyes and made those commitments, you made those promises. You didn't expect to be facing the challenges that you have now. Maybe you're just frustrated. Maybe you are 
wondering what can you do? What can you do to turn your marriage around? What can you do to to set things back on track and to have the marriage that you expected that you always dreamed that you would have? It just seems like so far away, so impossible a goal now to achieve. And that's a topic that we want to pick up on a later session as to how we actually move forward. But right now I want to just give those men a little bit of encouragement. Well, let me make you see if this is encouraging. <laughs> I'll say it and then you can tell me if it's actually going to be encouraging. I would want to say this to, to men listening to this who are looking at their marriage and saying, hmm, this is not as delightful as I wanted it to be. This is more challenging than I wanted it to be. I would say this. We trust you in God's grace to be men of character who can keep your word. You've made a promise. You've entered into a situation. You, it hasn't worked out for better as well as you wanted. There's a bit more worse in that equation than you wanted. And now you're really struggling with the worse. Turn around and just say to God, God, I actually need you to work in me to become the kind of man a real man who can actually live out the promise I once made. I may have made it ignorantly. I may have made it like a big puppy dog with his tongue hanging out, looking forward to marry the girl. I may have married it because I wanted to tick a certain box. I I may have made my commitments for all different kinds of reasons, but I've made it nonetheless. And I want my yay to be yay and my nay to be nay. I want to be able to say I can and will live out the promise that I made. So God, by your grace, I need you to empower me to be able to do that because I don't think I've got it in me mm. to be able to do that. Mm. And I That's think right. that would be the, the word I'd be wanting someone to give to me in that situation and I'd be giving to a, someone who came to me. I'd say, listen, I, I suck it in. I know this is, this is tough. I know it's not what you want, but this is not outside God's understanding. It's not bigger than him. He has mm. the grace sufficient for any situation. He said to Paul, my grace is always enough. So his grace is enough for this situation. You've made a promise. You've got to live it. That means you need him to empower you and do a work in you that hasn't yet been done. Well, let him do it. And surprise yourself and surprise your wife and surprise your kids and surprise your friends that this can actually become a gold mine of blessing and grace. Yeah. So the first decision is renew that commitment. Stand by the decision you already made. Stand by it. Be a man of your own word. Yep. Whatever it takes. And of course, it, it, to be truthful, um, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, in me, in, in my flesh, is no good thing. For me to actually be that kind of man, it's not in me. I have to let God work in me to make me that kind of man. Tap into the power source. Tap into the power Jesus source. Jesus Christ. Yep, get under the spout where the glory comes out, as someone said. <laughs> and don't bring a cup, bring a bucket, and just say, God, I just need you to, to fill me up and do something in me that I can't do in myself. Not just for my sake, but for the sake of my wife, my kids, the extended family, for the kingdom of God, for all the purposes which you brought us together. Very good. Okay, in a future episode on marriage, I want to talk about the holy grail of marriage. You'll have to listen up and see what the, whoa, find out what that whoa, is. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The holy grail of marriage, what to achieve, which and you can achieve that both your wife and you, once you get there, it's the holy grail of marriage. Wow, I better be there for that one. Okay, all right. So thank you, men, for coming along. It's been uh, fun, as always, and I hope it's been encouraging to you. It's always been uh, great to tap into Chris's wisdom and knowledge of all those years of experience. All those years. Now, there's a lay it off. <laughs> uh, 
do uh, do get in touch with us. You can reach us at uh, podcasts at realmen247.org. You can come over to the website, www.realmen247.org. And you can find us on Facebook as well. We'd love to for you to get in touch with us. Until next week then. God bless you and may his grace give you breakthrough in your commitments. Hey, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Real Talk for Real Men podcast at www.realmen247.org.